You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Welcome to a new class. Uh, just seems that we finished uh, Daniel, and now we, uh, we got a new class that we're going to be starting. And this class is 1 Peter. And so uh, let me begin with praying, and then we're just going to dive right in. This is going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, Mike, I can get you to answer the doorbells if you're okay with that. Yep. Thanks. Okay. Well, let's pray, and then we'll get, we'll get started. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Um, you are the risen one. And we celebrated that on the weekend, that in your resurrection, um, all the things that you said about who you are and all the things that you did were vindicated. Um, death could not hold you, but you defeated death by being raised from the dead. And we now serve a risen Lord, and that makes all the difference in the world. And so we pray that uh, as we look at your word, that you would teach us about the implications of what it means to follow you. So we commit tonight to you. Guide us and guide our conversation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so welcome to First Peter. Um, if there was a, uh, actually, I, can't, I, I, I saw this one, so I heard about this that there was, a, um, there was a sign on a door and the sign on the door said, spiritual health warning. Attending this meeting can seriously affect your spiritual health. And uh, I think attending this class will affect your spiritual health. Um, it's uh, Peter's, First uh, Peter is a dangerous letter. Um, it has the power to transform people. It has the power to transform people all throughout history. And it has the power to transform people today. And so just fair warning, if you do not want to be transformed, then I want to encourage you to log out and tune into Netflix or whatever happens to be on or crave. Um, because people who read First Peter, uh, people in the first century that read it and people in the 21st century that read it, um, are transformed by the work of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's, it's interesting, and, and maybe, and my guess is this has been your experience to a certain degree, but it's amazing how many problems seem to come up the moment you decide to follow Jesus. Uh, sometimes as Christians, as leaders, we don't do that. You say, is your life terrible? Follow Jesus. Everything will be better. And in many ways, and in very, very deep and profound ways, that's true. But um, there's also challenges. And Jesus warns us of these challenges. He says, in this world, you and I will face trouble, right? And so one of the, uh, one of the things that the church struggles with that struggled with in the first century and i think it is increasingly struggling with this in the west in the 21st century and, and other places in the world has been struggling with this for a long time which is this um, how can you and i live out our faith in an increasingly hostile environment well that's one of the reasons why this letter is written 
Now, so we're going to be walking through First Peter over these next 10 weeks. And uh, just uh, to tell you where I'm drawing a lot of the material, there's a fellow named Martin Cooley, and I'm very appreciative of him. Uh, he works with uh, Serving in Mission, which is a missions organization. And he has written uh, some curriculum for First Peter, and he graciously gave me a copy of his, his material, which is quite good. Um, there's an old scholar named I. Howard Marshall, and I've been uh, going through his teaching on First Peter, and it's very, very rich. There's a commentary by Peter David, and there's a commentary by Scott McKnight. So this is where I'm drawing from. Uh, I'm not that smart, so I just look for people who are smarter than I am, and I draw from them. So uh, that's where we're, uh, we're drawing from for, for First Peter. And so what we're going to do first, before we dive into the book, is we are going to... Uh, do a little bit of background on First Peter. Let me ask you, just put up a, an emoji hand or actually a real hand. How many of you have, have read First Peter more than five times in your life? Okay. Uh, yeah, okay, so some of you. Um, whenever you're dealing with a letter in particular in the New Testament, you have to ask important questions. In the same way, if you ever re received a letter, now, hang on, do you guys remember letters? Right, like the ones with the paper and that with stamps. Um, if you ever, if you remember that far back to a letter, um, when you get a letter, one of the first things you're gonna look at is, is the first questions you're gonna ask is, is what? Who wrote it? From? Who wrote you? Yeah, who wrote the letter? Who's writing me this letter? Uh, and then you're going to be asking questions like, okay, what's what what's this letter all about? Um, and so that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to look at this letter. Okay, what is this letter all about? Well, it's it's written by Peter, and we'll get back to the authorship in a second. Um, Peter is an early follower of Jesus. He's writing a letter to some Christians. And he's writing this letter to Christians that are scattered across the, the uh, Roman world. And in particular, he's writing a letter to Christians that are located in around five different places. So let me show you a groovy screenshot of a map. Hang on one sec. See if this works. And there's my map. make it bigger. There we go. So Peter most likely is way over here in Rome. Can you see my cursor? If I move my cursor, can you see it? Yeah, we can see it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, Peter's over here. He's in Rome most likely. And he's writing a letter to Christians that are located in um, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. It's kind of an interesting order because you're saying, okay, how it's kind of like a, so you maybe you take a, a boat here in Pontus and here and then here, here and there. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Anyhow, that's, that's where he's writing. Uh, is modern day Turkey, Asia Minor. That's where the, um, the letter is 
is sent to. And so he's probably writing one letter and it's being sent to all the churches in the different places. Okay. Now, who are these people? Who, who makes up this church that uh, these churches that he's, he's writing to? Well, we're not entirely sure, but it looks like it's a mixed group of people, people from a bunch of different backgrounds. Um, how do we know this? Well, slaves are mentioned, but not a lot about masters. So they, they're writing a lot to slaves. So maybe there's a number of slaves that were in the, in the uh, churches. Um, there's also a lot of attention, uh, and we're going to be discussing this, uh, uh, given to Christian wives, more so than to Christian husbands which is interesting. Could it be that there are more women in this church than men? Well, that seems to be the pattern through, I don't know, all of history. Um, maybe that's the case, right? Um, it seems, okay, so were they Jewish? Were they pagan? What, who are the people that they're writing, that he's writing this letter to? There's actually some debate over that. I think it's a mixed group. I think it's mostly pagan converts, but you still have quite a few Jews. Why do we think there's quite a few Jews? Well, because some of the language that Peter uses is drawn right from the Old Testament, which would make a whole lot of sense to pagan converts. But if you had Jews in your midst, they could explain some of the metaphors, right? Um, and then there's a question of leadership. You have to realize these are new, new churches. These are fairly, really new churches. This is a you know, the church is just being birthed. This is right post book of Acts kind of stuff. Um, and so then there's a question of leadership. Who is going to lead these churches? How are they going to be led? Um, so and the, the leaders are going to be called, if they're going to be called elders. So what does it mean to be an elder? What if they're new converts? You know, what kind of, kind of help do they need? Okay. Now we do know also, and this is just kind of interesting stuff, we do know that in this particular area, this Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, it was known for its hostility towards Christians. Now, how do we know that? Well, fun historical fact. Um, we know this because in the early 100s, there is a fellow who was a governor in the area of Bithynia, and his name was Pliny, Pliny the Younger. And he wrote a letter to the emperor, a guy named Trajan. And he's asking him, what do I do with this new upstart, weird, wonky group of people, this new superstitious, crazy cuckoo banana group called Christians? I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he asked. <laughs> he said, I need some help. And the issue was, one of the issues, was that uh, because these Christians seemed to be growing in numbers, it was affecting the local businesses in terms of selling meat that could be, that was used to uh, uh, these animals that were sacrificed to idols, right? And so meat sales is down, right? Meat sales is down and, and, and people are complaining, oh, these, because these stupid Christians, nobody wants to buy meat, that had been sacrificed to idols because they're all squeamish about this. And, and so Pliny writes a letter to the emperor. He says, okay, how do I deal with this new group called Christians? Apparently, you know, they get up early in the morning, except for Natalia, she wouldn't get up early in the morning, but they would get up early in the morning and they would worship this Christ as a God. 
So what do we do with this? So we know that there's, there is this persecution. Now that's in about 110 AD. Um, so that's a little bit later, but it has a history of being hostile towards Christianity. So it seems reasonable that Christians living in this area would have faced a lot of pressure. And they would be, if they drew attention to the fact that they were followers of Jesus, they would be open themselves to prejudice, for sure, criticism, and maybe even persecution. Okay? So that's, that's who he's to. What were the issues? What were the issues? What were the issues that, that uh, Peter is addressing? Um, without looking at your notes and from your here, what do you think some of these were? Can you think of any? It's hard not to look at the notes because they're right yeah. there. <laughs> I could hear yeah. you. You're looking at your notes. That's okay. Yeah, it's hard not to, and they're right in front of my face. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Um, well, let me ask you a question. Yeah, I see what Lori said. Uh, uh, false, false teachers. Hmm, interesting. In first, I'd say more in second Peter. Yeah, that's a, that's that's interesting. Um, is uh, let me just ask you as as we're uh, as we're answering this question, am I glitching or anything like? If I do glitch, you have to tell me. Okay, we we all good. Okay, well, okay. So you have your notes. So here's some of the issues. Um, there is psychological pressure and physical pressure that arises from being different. There's social um, to be ostracized and exclusion, uh, maybe between masters and slaves, between husbands and wives, between Christians. Um, you know, these Christians are having, you know, they're, they're having to live and they're having to thrive as outsiders. Um, there's discrimination, and this, this repeats itself with Pliny the Younger, that story that I just told you, uh, with Christians who are refusing to participate in idolatry. See, here's the thing, in the first century, mid-first century, so let's say you get, um, you get a guy like James. I see James down there with his hand like this. So, um, so let's say James is wanting to do business, and he's, part, uh, he's a carpenter, he's, he's doing business, and he's part of a carpentry guild like a union well to be part of that union he had to go and to these guild meetings but at these guild meetings what they would do is they would worship their patron god that's associated with carpentry they would have to eat the meat that was sacrificed to this patron god and then after they had this great meal then came in the dancing girls and girls to do other stuff and um so James is in a dilemma. He's, not, he's now a Christian. He's a, he used to be a pagan, but now he's a Christian. He's expected to participate in this and he's struggling. What do I do? Right? So that's one of the issues that first Peter is addressing, which I mean, in our day and age, um, again, I've, I've told you the story before, but I used to be friends with a guy. He used to come to my, a lot of my classes who was the uh, head of the, um, uh, union at uh, at this big organization in Vancouver. And he was a union head. Well, he was expected as union head to endorse certain lifestyles as well as participate in certain parades every year. 
And he really struggled when he became a Christian as to whether or not to do that. So, um, yeah, so that's, that, that is a challenge. Um, and then there's a potential pill, pull from your old way of life. It's like, man, I miss those pagan days. When I was a pagan, things were so much easier. I could eat whatever I wanted. <laughs> I could do whatever I wanted. I listened to whatever music I wanted to. Um, yeah, I miss my old life. And then there's a surrounding seductive worldview that's sucking you away, pulling you away from following Jesus. Um, tensions and inconsistent behavior within the church. Hey, how come, you know, how come uh, Sumi gets to do that and I don't get to do that? We're both brothers and sisters in Christ, but she she seems to think it's okay to, you know, smoke cigarettes and I don't know. <laughs> And, I, you know, I can't. Why is that? You know, and so there's tensions within the church, right? There's spiritual doubts about the uh, reliability of God's promises and the future. And then finally, there's just, um, you know, satanic. There's, there's spiritual warfare going on. Now, I think each one of those things that I just laid out. Yes. Thanks, Jack and Debbie. They're the same issues we face today. Absolutely. I think there's so, that's why I think first Peter is, is such an interesting book. There's so much in first Peter. It is chock full of lots of stuff. And the more I study it, the more I'm like, wow, this is, this is full. Uh, so yeah, like every book is a book for our age, but I think first Peter certainly is. Uh, yeah. So how do we navigate this? So again, one of the key themes in first Peter is that in this world, you and I will have trouble. There will be trials. And so the question is, how do you respond positively in conditions where you are under attack? How do you maintain good behavior when people are putting you down? Which is another theme in the book of 1 Peter. I want to challenge you to do something this week. I'm giving you lots of homework. Okay. One of the things, I want you to go through 1 Peter. Like certainly read through it at least once or twice this week. But if you're okay underlining, uh, underline every time you come across the word suffer or suffering. You're going to find it shows up quite. In fact, the amount of times, I actually did that. I went through and underlined every time I came across the word suffer. Um, it, it, it shows up more in this letter than, than, in, than in any other book, which I think it tells you a little bit about the theme of first Peter. Um, it also tells us something really important about the meaning of Jesus's suffering and his death and resurrection. So um, this is for all the geeks that are here tonight, not the Greeks, but all the geeks. Um, I, here's some, here's a, a few things. If you want to get the most out of this letter, I'll give you a, some, some homework. Ask yourself this question, read through the book of first Peter. Ask, what is this letter all about? What are the lessons that God is trying to teach us through this letter? Um, what are some of the challenging passages to understand? <laughs> My goodness, there are some challenging ones. Um, how does First Peter present a way of life that runs up against our culture? What is God revealing about himself in First Peter? What is First Peter, what is God calling us to do? And then this will be fun. If you want to do this, I think it'd be a fun uh, exercise. Go through 1 Peter and do three things. 
look at all the use of the Old Testament in First Peter. How does First Peter use the Old Testament? Really interesting. Really interesting question. Secondly, what does First Peter say about who Jesus is and why he matters? And then thirdly, because in addition to suffering, one of the key themes in the book of First Peter is this, is hope. It is an epistle of hope. Peter talks a lot about Christian hope, which is quite interesting. At the same time it talks about suffering, it also talks about hope. So that's for all you keeners. Um, I think it'd be fun. It just it'd be, get the most out of the uh, out of the book, right? Um, okay, so um, let's look at a, a couple more things. Do you know that most scholars, not Orthodox Christian scholars, but most biblical scholars who, you know, probably are not Christian, they don't have faith, but there are a lot of scholars out there. They all say that Peter did not write the book of First Peter. Um, I don't know. I, I might have it in your notes. If not, don't look. Um, why would a person say that First Peter is not written by Peter? Can you think of reasons? The way it's written is not for the fisherman, right? Very good. Yeah. Peter's a fisherman. This Greek is, and, and the Greek that's used in First Peter is pretty sophisticated Greek. Yeah, he might be considered uneducated. Yeah, very good, Laurie. Yeah, you said the same thing. Okay, can you think of anything else? He doesn't write another letter, just as two letters. Yeah, well, I mean, but they would say he, he didn't write, the, yeah, either letter. They would say it's, uh, it's written after the fact by somebody else. So here's the argument. Here's the argument why people would say, and this, I, I think this is important. Yeah, and Mike uh, makes a good point. The writing style is very different from Second Peter. The Greek is very different. The Greek in Second Peter is very rustic, and they say, "Well, maybe that's maybe that was written by Peter because it kind of fits, you know, a fisherman, right?" So here's here's the arguments, and they're good to know because actually a lot of people um, it's it's challenged, right? So a lot of people say, "Well, the Greek is too good for a fisherman." The other question is, "Well, why does Peter write to Turkey? He's in Rome. That's pretty far away. Doesn't he? Why doesn't he write to the church in Rome, right?" Uh, too much like Paul's writing, which is an interesting point, Robin, uh, because, or is that Dave? It might be Dave. <laughs> your reason. Um, and that's a really interesting point, because if somebody had said that Paul wrote this letter, nobody would bat an eye, because it sounds really like Paul's writing. Um, but what he says, Peter. So others questions is say, well, why doesn't, if it's Peter, why doesn't he mention Paul in this letter? Um, he talks about persecution. Well, this persecution occurs much, much later. So it's probably after Peter's life. Uh, he uses the word Babylon. Well, Babylon is, you know, an older term that people use. It, it's a term by the time you get to the book of Revelation that they use to describe Rome. Uh, Peter doesn't tell. He's, there's no personal anecdotes. How come, Peter? Um, it's a different kind of Judaism. So those are the arguments. But here's, 
I'll give you, a, I think there's a strong case to say that this is Peter. Let me lay out the case. One, the letter says it's Peter. Now we could say, oh, well, you know, but the onus is on a person to say that it's not what it says, because it does say that it's from Peter. So, I mean, you can't discount that. Two, um, it does say that the author had seen the sufferings of Jesus. You see that in chapter two, a little bit in chapter five. There are some similarities of teaching uh, of Jesus and the teachings that you find in first Peter. Uh, there's similarities between Peter's speeches and in the book of Acts and, uh, and in first Peter. The fisherman argument is, I think is just prejudice, right? Because we say, wow, you know, what do fishermen know? Like, well, honestly, what do we know about what fishermen know? Right? We live in a world where, well, in Canada is different. We're supposed to be bilingual. On the West Coast, not so much. When I grew up in Ontario, everybody was supposed to speak English and French. In a lot of countries, they just speak, you know, in the US or in England. England's a strange, people just speak English. They don't understand that a person can know another language. Um, why wouldn't Peter know another language? Just because he's a fisherman. Right. So it is a bit of a prejudice that we're like, oh, like a fisherman wouldn't know that language. Really? Are, are you sure of that? Um, why does he write to Asia Minor? Well, probably because some people from Asia Minor came and said, hey, we need some help. I mean, that's not a big stretch of the imagination. Um, the other thing is that the persecution that we come across in First Peter is not widespread, let's kill the Christians type of persecution that you're going to get under Nero, which is later in the, in the century. It's the kind of persecution that these Christians are annoying and let's just mock them and make fun of them. And it's, it's not widespread persecution, which points to more the time of Peter. Um, we don't hear Peter's personal story. Well, you know, same with Paul. I mean, we don't always get Paul's personal story. We sometimes do. Um, if it was a later date, I think you'd find something else. You'd find um, talking about Gnosticism or uh, some, some heresy. And the other thing, if it's later, then, well, Peter's kind of a hero, right? Peter's like, the, on this rock, I'll build my church. It would be a pretty elevated view of Peter. But you just come across with a pretty humble picture of who Peter is. He says, I, Peter. He doesn't say, I, Peter, with all the authority that goes with being the rock on which the church is built. I, Pe He's just like, I, Peter. You know, it's just, it's, it's quite a humble, humble uh, in intro, right? Um, and at the very end of the letter, it's interesting because he says, he writes this letter. Depends on your translation. In the NIV, it says, with the, help, with the help of, or in the ESV, it says, by, by a guy named Silvanus. And so it's not a stretch to say that someone with good Greek took Peter's ideas and, and wrote them down. We see that with Paul, because then at the end of some of Paul's letters, it says, I, I, Paul, write this part with my own hand, meaning up until now I've been dictating. So I'm just saying that because I think it's it's important because that that is the idea of Petrine, Paul, uh, Peter's um, authorship is really under attack in the world today. But I, I don't think there's any reason for us to doubt the fact that this is Peter who wrote this. Um, yeah, uh, so when, when, when did he write it? Well, he probably wrote it in the mid, probably the mid 50s or the early 60s. Um, because 
Well, we know that. Does anybody know how Peter died? How did he die? On the cross, upside down. On the cross, upside. Why upside down, Donna? Because he wasn't worthy enough to be crucified right side up. Yeah. Because that's what Jesus was. That's right. Who am I? So he's he's all right. And so they, they crucified him upside down. Under who who crucified him? Who was the uh, the emperor at the time? Does anybody know? Nero. Nero, yeah. So Nero. So that's later on in the century. Um, so we see that's another thing. We know that the letter's probably early. It's not later. So that's why we think it is it is Peter because if let's say it's a later date and let's say Nero was the emperor at the time. And if Peter asks the question in, in, in first Peter, he says, and who's going to harm you if you are jealous or if you are zealous to do good? Well, the whole congregation would have said, ah, duh, Nero is going to harm us. So you probably wouldn't have asked that question if, if Nero was around. So most likely we know that uh, Jews were kicked out of Rome between 49 to 54. There was a, an edict. And so that means Peter probably came back to Rome in the mid 60s. So it puts the letter probably mid 50s to early 60s when he wrote it. Okay. So that, that gives you an idea when first Peter's written. Some interesting things in the book of Peter. Uh, some sayings of Jesus show up. There's lots of use of the Old Testament. Um, lots of echoes of kind of Paul's teaching too. Uh, you see a lots of in Christ, union with Christ. Some people say that 1 Peter was used as a handbook for baptism services. That if you wanted to explain to someone who is about to be baptized what you are being baptized into, what the Christian faith is all about, they would give them 1 Peter. Uh, there's lots about Christian ethics in the household, husbands, wives, slaves. Talks about persecution, social pressure. And, and one other thing that you find in 1 Peter is little snippets of songs of what we would call we say you know there's 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 hymns in there but actually there's probably more accurate to say there's little snippets of choruses like you know little bridges from andrew marcus's songs or something like that you'd find all throughout but there are little snippets that they think are from songs that were sung in the early church well as we make our way through first peter we'll, we'll, we'll look at a few of them uh, the letters, uh, you get an introduction. It's a very common letter at the time. You have the introduction. Uh, then you have a closing, you know, farewell. And then there's three parts to the letter. Chapter 1, verse 13 to 210 is on the basic elements of the Christian life. 211 to 312 is how Christians should conduct themselves in different relationships, especially with non-Christians. And 313 to 511 addresses persecution and opposition and how to respond to this. Um, so that's all the background. Let's jump into first Peter. Any questions about the background? We just set in the table. So you're not going into this blind. Any questions? All right. So let's, we're, we are, we are going to just dive right in and read two verses. <laughs> Actually, there's a lot of these two verses. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. I'll send you the, I think I gave you the, uh, the schedule in your, in your notes. All right, so you have your Bibles? Now, here's the thing. It matters what translation you're using. Um, 
No, I like the NIV, but uh, I think the ESV gets a little more accurate on this. E ESV is the English Standard Version. Um, anyhow, you read whatever one you want. I'm going to read from the ESV. Uh, for It's the main one I, I usually read anyhow, but I think it, it gets the translation a little more accurate. It says, chapter one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are, who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Okay, so that's, that's, that's the opening. Um, what I want to do, and this is, uh, is I'm going to give you guys now, I know it's a dreaded breakout. Don't be afraid. Breakouts are okay. Breakouts are your friend. Look at Dave. Come on, David. Come on. Lean in. Lean in. Embrace the awkwardness. I'm going to break you into just very briefly, please do not be afraid. Do not take off. Break you into a breakout room. And I just want you to look at those few two verses and just say, what stands out? What cat catches your attention? See, this is the easy question. It's, uh, this Pete, the name Peter catches my attention. It could be anything. Um, what, what stands out, okay? And just We'll just do this for a few minutes, all right? Nobody's scared? Everybody's okay? No. <laughs> I know some of you tell me afterwards, I love breakouts. And some of you are like, I hate breakouts. So, okay. Let's, I'll just give you a few minutes on this. What stands out? Look at those two verses. What stands out to you? All right. So and I'll bring you back in really in about two or three minutes. Okay. Here we go. Boy, talk about making it easy. I'm trying, dear. Here we go. Now, here's the thing. You guys are all the rebels because you didn't join the groups. <laughs> so if you're still here or if you want, you could just share with me what, what stands out to you. Painful. <laughs> it was not painful. Okay. Let me hear from you. What are some, uh, what are some things that stood out to you? Just, just tell me the word or a phrase that, uh, that got your attention. The elect. The exiles. elect. The elect exiles. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, same for me. I think it's my first time seeing those two words in a sentence, like elect exiles, because they're both like contradicting. Yeah, and you could see me. It would get people's attention. Well, we're going to get to that. Yeah, it would, it's, it's a strange combination of words. Yeah. I also appreciated how it talked about it was within the foreknowledge of God. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, he knows the end from the beginning. He knows our lives. Um, and, and he knew about it before it even happened. And he, we are his even before we know it. Mm. I, yeah. 
Interesting. Okay, cool. And those who have been chosen. Those who have been chosen. Yeah. Oh, well, now that's an interesting thing. We're, well, okay, we'll get to that. Those who have been chosen. We had a uh, good discussion in our group about that. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I like what Mason, Mason spotted it. And we're going to come back to this is the Trinity. Yep. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned right in the intro. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, very good. Yeah, oh, and, and Mike, yeah, exiles of the dispersion, the, the language of exile, which we covered quite a bit last, uh, last class when we looked at the book of Daniel. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Oh, Kevin even saw Yeah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Very cool. Good. Well, okay, so let's look at this passage. Uh, we begin with uh, Peter saying, Paul, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To be an apostle means to be called by Jesus to a special ministry. It means uh, to bear the message of Jesus to the world. It implies that there's a direct connection between Peter and Jesus. Uh, it's not a heavy-handed introduction. I mean, sometimes Paul, you can see if he has a bit of octane, he's like, you know, I, Paul, you know, called by, God. you know, it's just, there's a lot of uh, octane. Um, with Peter, it's just like, no, this is who I am. I'm a messenger. He's simply describing what, who he is and what he's called to do. Then we come across these words. It's interesting. He says, yeah, he says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, this is where, again, sometimes, now, you hear me, most translations, the NIV, and all that, I've used NIV for almost my entire Christian life. I love the NIV. So this, but sometimes, sometimes different translations capture things a little bit better. Uh, I think we can trust them, but, you know, there's, there are always translations, and so we have to be careful. Um, Peter writes, elect exiles. What does it mean to be an exile? Well, to be an exile, now this is interesting. To be an exile is, can mean one of two things. It could mean you are driven from your homeland and now you're in exile, right? But that's not what this word means, really. What this word means, uh, it refers to someone who is temporarily living in a land where he or she is not a citizen. Let me say that. They're temporarily living in a land where he or she is not a citizen. They are temporary residents. They are aliens. You can put it that way. Um, Martin Cooley, he prefers the term elect aliens. <laughs> uh, Scott McKnight likes the term sojourning elect, this idea of pilgrimage throughout this world that's not our own. So Peter is reminding the church right from the get-go, right from the get-go, that we do not belong to this world that this world is not our home. So God is reminding us through Peter, um, yeah, that this is not our home. We do not belong here. And so this idea of being an elect exile, this is not our home, is a controlling metaphor. It's a key theme in the book of 1 Peter. Now, but Peter also uses the word elect, is interesting um if you were 
of Jewish background and you heard the term elect, immediately your mind would probably go to the Old Testament or, you know, for them, it was the only Bible. It's, it's, the, it's God's testament um, of how God had chosen a people for himself to be a great nation through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so that's going to come to mind. But when they hear the term elect exile, it's like you were saying, Rish, people are going to be like, what? What in the world does that mean? It's very, very unusual. Um, in, in fact, some scholars think it's the, it's the only time that you see these two words ever being used together. It's like saying, oh, he is such a blessed, tortured person. <laughs> like it's just, it doesn't really go together. Uh, being tortured is not generally seen as a blessing. But elect is a positive word. It refers to being chosen in the Bible. Again, it's, re, it, it's used to refer to God's elect, God's chosen people. But Peter is not addressing the elect. He's, he's addressing elect exiles. So he's not, now this is important to get. The doctrine of election, we're not going to get into that. I'll let you guys figure all that out. Um, I don't think that that's really what Peter is getting at in this passage, is about the doctrine of election. What he's talking about is that he's, he's saying that there's people who have been chosen by God, even though they, you know, we, we are, God calls us and he rescues us and all those things. Um, but he's, what he's saying is that this church these people have been chosen by God to live as exiles in this world. Okay. So you have been chosen to live this kind of life. You see what I mean? So it's not you have been chosen for salvation. Now, there's other passages that you can deal with that. But in this passage, what Peter is saying is that you have been chosen to live as an alien as a stranger as a sojourner in a place that's not your home you tracking with me the difference that's a really important difference again the whole question of election and salvation that you know paul touches on that and and so that that is an open debate i don't think that's what first peter is getting at at this at, in this passage um so the idea of elect alien or elect uh, exile would have shocked the readers. So like it would have just really got their attention. And you know what? It should shock us. Um, it should shock, but it says something really important about how we are called to live our life. So when I use the word alien, uh, what comes to mind? Weird. <laughs> Weird. Very good. <laughs> no, I appreciate that's that's good. Yeah, Mork, <laughs> Star Wars, Green People. Okay, very good. People who are different, right? Um, they can look. Aliens stand out because they look different. They talk different. They dress different. Um, they just don't fit in, right? They try to fit in, but they don't fit in. Um, now, I think that's, that's interesting because 
that it, it, could it be that that is how we need to increasingly think of ourselves in this world? Uh, yeah, we'll come back to that because I think that that's a really important theme in the in the book of uh, of First uh, Peter. But we get to this other word that he says. He talks about being an elect alien, and then he says. You're an elect alien, elect alien, elect exile, um, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Um, interesting word, dispersion. Dispersion is a technical term to you that's used to describe God's scattered Old Testament people. Um, even those who were living outside of Israel were, were seen as as, as being dispersed throughout the land, right? Uh, or they've been taken into exile. That's what we studied in the book of Daniel, right? Well, what is Peter doing here? Well, he says, as followers of Jesus Christ, he's reminding them of two things. One, they are the people of God. That's who they are, regardless of what society around you says. That's who you are. Secondly, as God's scattered people, they're living in a land where they did not belong. Their homeland was somewhere else. Okay, I'll tell you, my brothers and sisters, we need to hold on to this. This is really, really important. Our homeland is somewhere else. This is not our home. We are living in a land where we do not truly belong. Um, and this is a theme, not just in First Peter. This is a theme all throughout the New Testament. Um, and then we get to verse two. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Um, it's interesting. He says, if, if, if elect aliens would grab the original reader's attention, what comes next really forces them to think about how they, how they can see their lives. Um, this is why I think in this passage, the ESV is pretty important, uh, that we have been, we are elect aliens according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, what does that mean? It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What it means is that he's not talking about God choosing us to be saved. I don't think that's what Peter's getting at. You're going to come across those those uh, themes in other, other books. What he's saying is that according to the foreknowledge that God in his foreknowledge has chosen the church to live in such a way that they are not at home in this world. You with me? They have chosen that God in his, in his foreknowledge has chosen us to live in this way in the world that this world is not our home. So it's, the foreknowledge is to be an elect alien. It's not about, you know, God in before, in his foreknowledge, electing us to be saved. That's not what this passage is about. Again, there's plenty of other passages that, that deal with that, but that's not what, this is saying that God in his foreknowledge has chosen us to live this kind of life where we don't fit, where we don't, we don't fit into, in, into the world. And so this is why I think the ESV is a little bit um, more helpful. 
uh, because I think in the N NIV, it actually, they add some, a couple words and some, one of you, yeah, who have been chosen. The NIV says who have been chosen, that's not in the Greek. Um, and so they, they're making an interpretive thing going on, but I don't think that's what the point is. The point is this, is that we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God to be elect aliens. That's what it means. That this is God's plan for the church, that we, this is not our home. That you and I, as Rich so aptly put it, are always going to be weird. <laughs> what is it? He goes, uh, the truth will make you weird. Uh, the truth will make you odd. He chose us to be aliens who do not fit in this world. Okay, so why does God, all right, why does God choose us to live this kind of way? Why, why didn't God choose us to, to, to blend in, uh, to just kind of fit into the world? Why, why are we called to live as elect aliens or as elect exiles? Why, why this plan for our lives? I think it's a, it's a good question. Some of us would much rather, I mean, the way the church sometimes operates this could be a hobby horse. I, I won't go into this too much. But sometimes, sometimes the church bends over backwards to be cool, to fit in. We're not like the other church. We are kind of, we are hip. We are with it. We are, you know, we're not different. We're, we're just like you. And, and I'm like, no, no. The church has never been cool. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, try as you like, you will never be cool. Which for me is okay because I was never cool in high school. And so I kind of had some training along the way. Uh, but this idea that, and sometimes the church tries so hard to win the world's approval. And what Peter is saying is like, yeah, you're never going to fit in. The very nature of being a follower of Jesus Christ means you're always going to not quite fit into this world around you. Yeah, you with me? I think the sooner we as Christians get our head around that, the better we'll be. Um, and we don't have our heads around that. And the reason why is because Christianity and culture was pretty close to each other in Canada for a long period of time. And now when Christians get a, heart, get, get, get a, get a raw deal, we're like, hey, that's not fair. You know, we should be, you know, we should be respected. We should, be, but this is actually, this idea of not quite fitting in and, and um, eliciting hostility from the world is actually more of the norm for the church throughout history than anything else. And so I think the faster we realize that, the better we will be. Any comments, questions on that one? <laughs> I think if we were the same as the world, uh, like people won't ask questions. Like if we're different, then they start asking questions. Oh, why, why are these people so nice? I want to know more about their lifestyle and where they're coming from, you know, and before you know it, we talk about Jesus and, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you think about your own life. Maybe some of you can give testimony to this about how you came to faith. Um, often it is through seeing something in someone that you 
know is lacking in you it's different and 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 you're uh, and you're drawn to it that was me like i was up to no good in china like i was living a horrible life but i thought i was, i thought i had it all together but i had a friend of mine and he was odd he was so odd he was just and you know they get together and i knew they're all christians and they would sing songs and they would invite me i'm like oh this is so lame who sings songs together who does that this get me out of here and i would mock them and i would make fun of them i'd say these guys are just cuckoo bananas and i mean what you know but deep down there was something in them that i thought oh i'm missing that in my life and that's what drew me to him that's what drew me to faith in the first place is i saw something in this person as weird as he was that i thought there's something in him that i need in my life and it was it was it's the presence of the holy spirit and some of you probably i i bet i know many of you i mean could, could give testimony to the same kind of thing this is really important so why does god want us to be aliens why does he want us not to fit in well i think that we see that in verse two um we read about the Holy Spirit sanctifying us. We talk about the sanctification of the Spirit, right? Sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uses these challenges that we face by not fitting in to actually grow us spiritually. Um, you know, when you join the military, I remember my brother, when he joined the military, they sent him off to boot camp. And uh, he called home and was like, I want to come home because it was really hard. <laughs> he stayed in it for like a long time, uh, 40, 40 plus years. Um, and, uh, but when you're in boot camp, when you're in basic training, you're forced to do things that are really hard, but you do it because you will be transformed by doing it. And could it be that God places us in a culture where we don't quite fit because that is part of how you and I are transformed and how the spirit transforms us into the people he wants us to be. Uh, I, think, I think there's something to that. Uh, when you're an alien living in a foreign land, um, the challenges that you face are transformative. I mean, I lived in China, I couldn't speak a word. I had to learn language in order to eat or find the bathroom. <laughs> Those sorts of things. The hard part is in Chinese is the word bathroom is one of the hardest words to pronounce. It's a tussle. And I said everything but, and I'm like, ah, I need to learn how to say bathroom in Chinese. Um, see, you're transformed. Eventually you'll learn. But that's what sanctification refers to. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. And I think we're put in as aliens in a strange culture in a strange world in order to transform us and that's one of the themes of first peter so um yeah being an alien will will help you be transformed <laughs> um one other thing is um So our status as aliens fits into god's eternal plan with the holy spirit's work in our life but there's more our status as aliens does not only relate to the Father and the Spirit, but also relates to the Son. What does he say? He says, uh, sanctification of the Spirit 
for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. I have to say this, the book of first Peter is as thick as you're going to get. Like, wait till we get to next week. This, this next paragraph, he puts a whole truckload of really interesting ideas all within very few verses. Welcome to first Peter. This is uh, you, you're going to get your money's worth in first Peter. There's so much in it. So he says, we learn, we learn, we're transformed as we learn um, what Jesus wants us to do. What does he say? For the obedience to Jesus Christ, for the sprinkling with his blood. Um, And so as elect aliens, we have opportunities to choose to obey Jesus. And one of the opportunities that will come up over and over again is the opportunity to suffer for Christ. Suffering is one of the main ways that we are we grow in our in our christian walk and uh man we're going to come across that over and over again and then he says this he says sprinkled with for sprinkling with his blood what in the world do you think that means jesus took our sins and we're cleansed yeah i mean that's the way it comes across is like the idea that Jesus washed away our sins through his blood. But the word sprinkling of the blood is, is, is kind of a specific language. Can you think of where you might I mean, find this? Sacrifice of um, when, they, when they sacrificed at the temple, they would sprinkle the blood on the altar. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. In, in Exodus 24, yeah, I see Mike, yeah, you, you uh, marked that down as well. Um, and we also read this in, in Hebrews chapter nine, it says, therefore, Not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law has been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet will and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. In Exodus 24, verse 6 to 8, we read about Aaron and his sons and their garments are sprinkled. And people and things uh, used in worship um, would would be sprinkled with blood. And what that would mean is that these, these objects, including these people, they would be consecrated. That's the language, consecrated. They'd be consecrated what does that mean it means set aside prepared equipped for a purpose right dedicated and so the language here of sprinkling with the blood is a picture of by being an elect alien you and i are being prepared to live out the life we're supposed to live and what is that life well the life is the life of a priest Oh, we're going to come back to this again and again. But what is a priest? What does a priest do? A priest is a mediator, stands between God and the people and points the people to God and points God to the people. And that's part of our calling as Christians is to be mediators, to point people to the reality of Jesus and to... um, Point God, you know, and joining people to God. Uh, we come across this in chapter two, where we are called to be built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. We'll unpack that. 
later on in chapter two, verse nine, he refers to God's people as a royal priesthood. And so this is a picture of, of that we are being trained to become priests, to, to point people to the reality of Jesus. Okay. And then we, we, we pointed this out, but this whole little passage, this, this first two verses we come across is Trinitarian language, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You find, you know, the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for their obedience to Jesus Christ. And all throughout the New Testament, you come across the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I always say this, that because people always say, well, what's with the Trinity? You know, it's so complicated. Why make things so complicated? No good monotheistic Jew is ever going to come up with the idea of the Trinity unless God somehow reveals himself this mystery of his being to us. And you see this over and over again, the Trinitarian language, that what has been revealed to the church is that God in his very nature is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this comes up over and over again, but we find this right, in, right from the get-go. And then how does this passage end? What do we end up with? May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And uh, I love that. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, at first glance, this looks like what, you know, Paul often says, grace and peace to you and like a standard greeting, but there's a little bit different. It's not just grace and peace, but what is it? It's a boatload of grace and peace. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying. He said, grace and peace be multiplied to you. And that's an important difference. Um, it's, in fact, the, the theme of grace is huge in First Peter. I think six times we come across the word grace. And um, Peter, he wants his readers to experience grace and peace, but he wants them to ex experience it in abundance. Why do they need grace and peace? Because it ain't going to be easy to live as a Christian in this world. It's going to be very, very difficult. And to live as an alien, living in a world where you do not belong, every day you are going to be up against it. Um, they're going to need a lot of grace to deal with the pressures of society, including persecution. And so Peter is saying, look, yeah. tomorrow when you go to work, you're going to be up against it. And when you're ready to strike back at your boss because he's just being really dumb or your manager because she's saying all sorts of things about you and, and it's unfair. Just when he says, hold on to the boatload of grace and peace that God will give to you so that you can continue to live faithful lives as elect aliens in this world that's not our home. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I work in a church and I need this grace and peace every day. <laughs> Don't tell any of my coworkers. Um, but it's it's true. Like we need we need great. Oh, and I don't know about you, but I I find, and I was sharing this on the Holy Saturday meditation. Uh, I find like COVID, it's like a 
big, ever thickening wet blanket on this world. It's like, it's just, it's really hard. It's really hard to, to stay, um, you know, to, to uh, what does uh, Peter say? It's, it's very hard to live in obedience to, to Jesus Christ with the sprinkling of his blood when you're feeling really frustrated. Um, and I think, you know, for us to live as Christians in this world uh, is, is really difficult. It's always been difficult, but it's, it's going to get even more difficult in, I think, the years to come. That's why First Peter is so important. Any comments? Do you guys want to make a comment on that? Am I am I alone in in, in feeling that 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 heaviness? So I am alone. Okay, uh, so I thought. No, you're, you're not, not alone. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're just slow to respond. <laughs> okay, I was worried there. I thought, well, maybe I was alone. <laughs> Well, it's, 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 it's overwhelming. Like it, it, it's, I, I always say this people like I, as, as a Christian, you know, I, I read and I study and I have books that help me to contemplate, to reflect on the life that we have in Christ. I have all the materials and I'm feeling the weight of it. And I think about these people who don't have access to the word of God, who don't have access to being reminded who they are in Christ and just how overwhelmed they must be feeling these days. And then, so it's a reminder for us to be priests again, right? We need to actually point them to where hope is found. And I wonder, I'm kind of going off script right now, but I do wonder if and when this is all over. You know, one of the things that you saw after World War I, I think we talked about this, is uh, a lot of hedonism. After World War I and the Spanish flu in the 1920s, the Roaring Twenties, there was a lot of let's just live, drink for tomorrow we die. There was a, lots of just pleasure, loving and all that. But then, then the Depression hit and uh, it got difficult. And then the war came, right? Um, I think as a church, we need to be ready for, I think a lot of people are going to hit rock bottom. And uh, I think as a church, we need to be ready to point them to where hope is found. And I'm, I'm hopeful that there might be a revival after, after this pandemic. Who knows? But uh, we can pray, pray, pray to that. Yeah, that's just been on my mind lately. So in these weeks together, we are going to be walking through. Yeah, we're sifting. Good. Uh, we're going to be walking through First Peter. And uh, there's a lot in this book. There's so much. I would encourage you to become familiar with it. It takes all of, what, 15, 10, 15 minutes to go through it once. So go through it a few times this week just to get a feel of the, uh, of the, uh, of the flow. Sound good? And um, I want to leave you with a few questions. Here's a couple of questions that, uh, that you could uh, take home and think about. What are the specific areas of your life where you need God's grace and peace today? So take time to acknowledge this and ask for God's grace and peace in the boatloads. Um, get people to pray for you. I was talking to uh, my friend, Mark Roth. He calls me up every now and then to just check in on me. And I said, Mark, you need to be praying for me. He says, I'll keep praying for you. You need people to pray for you. 
Secondly, keep a list this week of any circumstances God brings or allows in your life that helps you to become more holy. <laughs> so somebody cuts you off. Thank you, Lord, for making me more holy. <laughs> the difficulties. Well, and how you respond to these, to these challenges, right? Thank God for these circumstances and what he is doing in your life. Thirdly, reflect on and discuss with your family, friends, um, in, in ways you're recognizing that you do not belong to this world. And finally, um, part of what God is doing in 1 Peter chapter 1 is calling us to embrace the status as aliens. And it's easy for us as Christians to look at injustices towards us and say, that's not fair, rather than remembering that, all right, these, these challenges are one part of what it means to live as an elect alien, elect exile, and two, that these challenges can transform us. And that is a theme that runs all through First Peter. Any, uh, any questions, comments? Are you excited to walk through First Peter? It, yep. is th- it is thick, but I'll tell you, it, it will be so good. I, as I've been preparing for it, I'm like, this is rich. This is so rich. I, I've really enjoyed diving in. <laughs> Dove into two verses, right? And that's all we looked at tonight with the intro. But uh, next week, we'll, uh, we'll get into um, basically verse 3 to verse 12 in the Greek is one long sentence. Um, and so we're going to, but there's so much in it. And that's what we're going to be looking at uh, next week. It'll be a lot of fun. David, I don't know if I'm excited to be going into it, but uh, like exercise, I know I need to. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for taking us through this book because we are going through such fascinating times. And I think the church needs to be prepared. Second, Peter, sorry, First Peter sounds like a great place for some preparation, but like exercise, it never feels good initially. <laughs> never feels good. Never feels good at the time. Well, and I also think it's interesting that First Peter was used as they think that it was used to just warn Christians who are about to be baptized. Uh, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what it's going to look like. And it's actually structured along those lines. So yeah, well, thanks for saying that. Yeah, you're right, Kevin. Nobody wants to exercise, but it's supposed to be good for you. So there you go. Cool. Any other comments? All right. Well, hey, good to see everyone. Let me uh, close in prayer. In fact, I'm going to ask my dear friend Kevin to close in prayer. Just unmuting myself. (laughs) Father God and Holy Spirit and Son of God, we thank you so much that you, uh, the triune God, are real and that you Uh, look down the quarter of time and you see what the church needs uh, and you choose to put the church through these tough times. I just pray, Lord, that it would be a revival, like David says, and not a sifting. But uh, Lord, no matter what, you are in control. And we just ask you to help us each day, uh, one day at a time, to go through uh, this world as witnesses of you. And may we be proclaimers of the gospel. May we shine Jesus wherever we can, but help us to be wise as serpents, as innocent as doves, because uh, this world we live in is going crazy, it seems. Uh, but help us to be light. I pray you'd bless everyone and their families tonight and uh, bring us back next week with even 50 more people on top of the 50 who showed up tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. 
You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.